You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Say hello to my little friend. To infinity and beyond. Like tears in rain. On Wednesdays we wear pink. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Tears looking at you, kid. You talking to me? You're gonna need a bigger boat. You'll always have Paris. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Films and Friends. My name is Josh. I'm joined as ever by Tobias. Hey, I'm here, and uh, we have our, our third guest here, um, which is the band in the background. Once again, we, we have a, just some blowing noise in the background. And uh, if we're not mistaken, it's the band Waterparks. So uh, our critique of their sound check is, it's all right? It's all right? It is um, heavily bassy, and I'm really enjoying it. Yes, how many bases are you enjoying? Yeah, it? yeah, very basic. Cool, we are clear. <laughs> we are clear. And um, who else are joined by other than the uh, delightful accompaniment of? I want to call it waterways, but it's not. Water waterways, water parks. Oh, okay, we are joined by Claudia. Hey. <laughs> so, Claudia, how we like to start these is just to talk a bit about yourself. Or how do you know either myself or Tobias? What do you do? Um, so I've lived with Josh since September 2017. Um, yeah, <laughs> what else do I say? So I, I did law at uni a little bit, and yeah, not nothing else to say really. I'm not, um, just a disclaimer, I'm not very good at uh, film knowledge. Uh, I'll be relying on Josh to tell me what films I have seen and if I enjoyed them or not, because <laughs> most of them I've seen with him. Um, yeah, more into music and TV, but I will try my best. Well, you don't need to worry about that. Every, <laughs> every guest, almost every guest we've had on, says, well, I don't know how to talk about film. I don't know much about film and that's why we did this podcast because mm-hmm. we wanted to fit that intersect between very casual film viewers that will go to cinema and watch you know whatever is of interest to them and i mean I, i'd call us hardcore film fans even you know we could call ourselves even film critics at this point um with our knowledge it kind of it's a bit scary some po- sometimes when you listen to a podcast because some people go super technical, whereas some people just go fully way too casual. So I think we, we're trying to fit that middle spot, so mm, don't yeah. worry about it. <laughs> we try and occupy quite a niche of sort of like, um, it is like having a conversation with someone just one of your fans about film, just the friend is a bit of a know-it-all, but they don't like to show it off too much. Yeah. And that's probably how I've described our podcast. So um, probably the best place to start, really, is um, for you to just start naming some of your favourite films, actors, genres, directors, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so Wolf of Wall Street is my favourite film of all time. What are your opinions on that? Is that a, a real uh, casual film viewer's opinion, or how would you, do no, you say I, it's a good film, critically? I'd say that Wolf of Wall Street, um, even though at the time it, it kind of, at least in my school at the moment, it was like the lads' film. Everybody was imitating film, and it was just kind of... The, the classic... You, you, we all have that one not friend, but like acquaintance on Instagram that posts inspirational quotes on their story, like business quotes. Yeah, basically that film fit that niche. However, I think it holds up. I think it's actually a really good film. Despite as long it's... It was a long, it was three, hours. Time, three hours. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Josh? It is probably... Um, uh, I do sort of talk at length sometimes that I'm not the biggest fan of long films and I can sit through them. I think... It is, uh, in terms of uh, length to how much I enjoy it ratio, it's probably at the top. Like, there are very few three hours, even, um, especially like Scorsese, I do like Gangs in New York, but I don't think it comes anywhere near to needing that length of The Wolf of Wall Street. And I think it does play on sort of the, the fact it is, the whole film's about excess. So the fact the film's three hours long just fits it in. And it does, in terms of pacing, I think there is, it is sort of a masterclass in pacing, because there's n- most films that, especially ones that run more than, 
two and a half hours you can always see it like oh I'd chop that bit out like you cut ten minutes out here five minutes out there like Zack Snyder's films I honestly can't think of any part of the Wolf of Wall Street I would want to cut out mm. no the whole film really just yeah it, it, as you said it works because of the whole idea of excess yet yeah, it doesn't feel excessive so there we go yeah just super interesting life and no, how did you watch the film? film? Did you go to the cinema? Did you just catch it later on um, Netflix or something? Yeah, I didn't go to the cinema. When was it out? Like 2012 or something? 2014, oh, 2014 I think. Oh, was it? Yeah, oh, okay, fair. Yeah, I didn't sit in the cinema, I don't think. But I've watched it many times. Probably my most watched film. I think I can quote it. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think how many times have you seen it? We've watched it together at least three times. Really? Yeah, I think so. Wow. Okay. We've watched it in both, I think we've watched it in both the houses we've lived in. Okay. And I think we've watched it twice God. Before as well. That's quite worrying because yeah. I've watched it a lot without you as well. <laughs> so, how, how many times do you think you've seen it? God, like 15 at least, I'd say. It's bad, isn't it? It's well, three hours, but. That is two days worth of watching yeah, The Wolf of Wall Street really out of your life. Though. True, but if it's your favourite film, it's your exactly. favourite film. I know I'm going to enjoy it. See, I rarely rewatch films. Um, I can count. I, I, I know what films I've rewatched. Mm-hmm. So. The ones that don't count are classic Disney films because I would rewatch them as a kid, you know, and that doesn't really count. The old James Bond films, just mm-hmm. because if I catch them on telly, there's maybe a couple like Doctor No, I've probably seen twice. Um, you Only Live Twice, I've maybe seen three, four times. Um, I've seen all the modern Bond films twice because I made a re- I did a rewatch two years ago just to refresh my memory. Mm-hmm. But then that's about it. Like I haven't mm-hmm. really seen. I saw Doctor Strange twice um, at the cinema just because I I saw it once without my brother. Then I wanted to take him with my dad. But the only film I have that level de- dedication for is The Italian Job. Mm-hmm. I've oh, seen it. Okay. Yeah, fifteen times more. I've not seen that. That's I think really weird. I reckon my most seen film is probably Train Spotting because I really love Train Spotting. See, I've I've seen it once, and it's one of those films. So there's a lot of films which you watch and you're like, I don't want to see that again. Mm-hmm. Not not in like a scarring way, but in a kind of like, that was the experience and I think that's kind of how it should live on. But uh, Trainspotting feels like one of those where you kind of need to give it a couple years. Mm, yeah. Because I have I saw it, what, two years ago for the first time? So, yeah, maybe it's warranted a rewatch now. I think the thing that's ruined rewatching films for me is Letterboxd. Because now I just, I'm, it's like, it's the thing with social media, isn't it? And I don't talk, there's no need to talk about that at length, but it's the numbers thing. And I find that I do know quite a lot of people now who have Letterboxd and I'll have a look at theirs and see how many films they've watched. And it's like, they'll get, they've got more than me. I should probably start watching more films now. I'm really bad for it because my memory is really bad. So if I watch a film that I like, I will rewatch it. And we watched Napoleon Dynamite the other night, just, and I've seen it like, literally probably about five years ago I couldn't remember what happened but I remember enjoying it at the time we watched it we didn't really like it and it's weird like how your perception can change and but like Joker that's that was new last year I watched that three times in about like two months which is pretty bad to be fair but um I do enjoy rewatching them I think I get like a deeper meaning from them the more Times you do, yeah. I mean, in the, the, the section that we added to the paper, we do a feature. That, really, my biggest contribution to the um, media in Manchester is that I invented the name of it, which is a Deja Review, which was a, a <laughs> highlight of really the, high, the really the pinnacle of my time at university. And uh, that, that's the thing we like the most about it, is it's not just the same as reviewing a film we've just seen in the cinema. Mm-hmm. It is that we like people to sort of take a more sort of holistic view of it and to kind of think like how it's, their perception of it's changed. And that's another reason why we do this. That's why, at the end, we always ask people what films from your childhood are meaningful to you, mm-hmm. because you end up with some really interesting stories about them. Mm. Yeah, and, and re-watching films, again, 
as you said, you get deeper understanding. But what I get from rewatching films is usually um, a fresh understanding. And the one that did it for me uh, my whole life and still does it is the Italian job. Mm-hmm. Because, just to say it briefly, the way it used to be for me as a kid was a film that my dad enjoyed and was boring all the way through until you got to the car chase at the end. That was a fun bit. <laughs> and then the cliffhanger ending, and that's it. And then, you know, as I grew up, I started understanding different facets of it. But in my most recent watch, um, not counting the one I saw with the live orchestra, so the one before that, was the fashion of the film. How Michael Caine has a different outfit in every single scene, and every single outfit is just put together meticulously. Mm. Like, it's, it's fantastic. And that's just such a really underrated detail that I didn't notice in you know, my whole yeah. life of watching it. That's cool. So that's the magic of rewatching yeah, films, yeah. I guess. Definitely. So, looking at the other things you've added to your list here, you've got quite a lot of um, quite a lot of British films. You've got, like, Legend and Kingsman, yeah. which are kind of very, fairly similar. And also you've got some um, jukebox musicals. You've got both Rocketman and Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah. So uh, good. Love them. What do you prefer? Do you have interest? What do you prefer out of Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman? Right, it's interesting, because I'm a much bigger Queen fan than Elton John. I watched Bohemian with you in cinema, yes, right? Yes, we watched in the cinema. Um, and then I've rewatched both of them recently, actually, with my family. Uh, I think I preferred Rocketman, though. I think they kind of go more in-depth. Obviously, it's the same director, but I think it was more kind of rough on Elton John's actual life, whereas, like, I remember you saying they sort of missed out a lot of Freddie Mercury's because Brian May was a producer, and obviously in the in Rocketman, Elton John was involved in that. But it, I was really interesting with um, the guy, I can't remember his name now, uh, you know, the Scottish one that was portrayed quite differently in them, but he's the same guy. Oh, Richard Madden? Yeah, yeah, it's the guy, Oh, oh what's his... That. The guy who manages Queen. I forget what his name is. Yes, yeah, yeah, who was with Elton John yeah, as well, yeah. Uh, that was really interesting when you watch them like in such close sort of proximity to each other because I watched them one night after the other and it's so different. And does he play the same character? Yeah, so it's different actors in both of them. Sorry, but it's the same actors, same guy, character. yeah, in real life. Okay, um, yeah. and he's obviously made to look really bad in Rocket Man, but like he's pretty like the all right. Of Queen yeah, in... yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I, I haven't seen any of them. Oh, okay. Um, so it's uh, he's called John Reed, and John he's Reed. in obviously so. he was uh, basically uh, Elton John's manager and later became like his kind of. Um, but living partner, and then oh, it, he okay. also was the manager of Queen, uh, yeah, manager of Queen for a bit. Okay. So he's pe- played by um, it's Aidan Gillen in Bohemian Rhapsody and Richard Madden in uh, Rocketman. Okay. Wasn't he the one that said Bohemian Rhapsody would never work as well? It was him and his manager. They said that. I'm pretty sure. As in the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. I I do need to watch them. They um, are good if you like the music, especially. It's see, done really well. I grew up on Queen mm, and. Same. I, I love a lot of a lot of this stuff. I actually got to see Queen and Adam Lambert wow. um, a couple of years ago, and that was brilliant. So I, I, I should give it a watch. Yeah. I can't... I'm with Elton John. I have a bit of a weird um, relationship with his music. And this is... I know it sounds a bit dumb, but it's just because of something my mother said, and it's because of how terrible he is as a person. Mm. And essentially what happened was um, my mum saw him perform in Argentina in Buenos Aires and he gets on stage he starts performing the performance was fine apparently but then he stops it and goes and, and just goes off on the sound engineer and just oh. swearing and, and fires him My on God. stage in front of a, like an arena wow so since then I, I never got into him yeah, and then I was but... listening to Goodbye Yellow Brick, Yellow Brick Road yeah. about two years ago and I it's just really good, so I need to get into it, him, but it's that thing in my mind that he's just a bit of a, well, bit of a dick. I didn't know about that. Yeah. I thought he was a good guy in my head. <laughs> no, no, he's in front of many freakouts. Well, okay. Um, 
so it's a bit, bit yeah. difficult to <laughs> picture that, but to be fair, probably one of the least problematic artists of, of living yeah. now. Yeah, I think you touched on a bit there. My opinion on Bohemian Rhapsody is extremely low. I'm mm. not. I absolutely can't stand the film personally. I really actually enjoyed Rocket Man, and I was surprised because I wasn't. I didn't think I was actually that big a fan of Elton John's music, apart from like I obviously I love Stepping to Christmas, probably one of my favourite Christmas songs. And I, it was one of those times when you sort of watch it, you go, "Oh yeah, that was him. Mm. Oh, that was him as well." Yeah, yeah actually, I quite. I actually really got into it. Like when I first. It was me. I think it was me that suggested to watch it first, and I was like, "Watch the first like ten minutes." I was like, "Yeah, it's probably it was a bad call." But by like an hour in, I was absolutely sold on it. Like mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, I I'm not a, the biggest Queen fan in the world. I do like some of their songs, but I I wouldn't listen to a Queen album because they have lots of not good songs. They're, they're, uh, the thing I always say about Queen is like they are the band with the most incredible greatest hits album. But when you listen to their actual single albums, you can probably skip most of them. Well, it's kind of like the Beatles, mm-hmm. which a lot of people would disagree with but I think if you go through it stuff like I'm the Walrus you kind of I think that's probably nice. Like, um, Magical Mystery Tour is probably my second favorite Beatles album see I, I I don't like it it's just the kind of thing was like why 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 did this even happen although in retrospect it did change a lot of music whereas with Queen yeah it's just a lot of forgettable mm. content in their catalogue a lot of stadium anthems though I think that was yeah. their main sort of thing that's the yeah. ones you know now like all the big ones like We Will Rock You or uh, We Are The Champions obviously like massive like things in like the NFL or the uh, yeah. football but yeah I think my issue with Pinion Rhapsody was that how sanitised it was and I mean I think quite a lot of people know the whole story about what happened was that it was originally going to be made by um, Sacha Baron Cohen and it was going to be like a proper proper biopic of his life and it was going to have like the whole story about the um dwarves walking around with silver platters on their head with just cocaine all over it and that was the original plan and then when Brian May and uh, Roger Taylor got involved they were like no we're not doing that and it, even to the extent in the film like you can tell that basically um, so uh, you see like Freddie Mercury his like downfall or whatever which is sort of debatable whether it really was a downfall whether it just because obviously the fame did get to his head quite a lot and obviously quite a lot of bad things happened as a result of that and you can and then like it, there's one scene when they're at a party and like his life's falling apart and the rest of the band members is there with their wives not drinking it's like it's just you can tell it's just been such a way it's like they look like vicars at a tea party and it's just because he's not here anymore that they want him to look, they don't want him to look bad but they're happy to say whatever about him whereas they themselves want to portray themselves in the most positive light and it just kind of felt uneasy with me oh that's, that's bit... I'm not sure about that did you notice that or do, do you not think yeah but I thought that was more of it it was to sort of demonstrate that obviously they've been together for a while at that point and they sort of got, got on with their lives and managed the fame and he obviously hadn't sort of done the whole settling down and getting over that initial craziness I didn't think it was so much to make him look bad I thought it was just sort of show him struggling still I don't know though so you think it was more of like an objective I think honest it, I think yeah I think it could have been honestly that way that they, their lives were together and his maybe wasn't as much I think you'd be very hard pressed to assume that they hadn't ever said anything about one. They, they, they hadn't had any impact on making themselves look better than they actually did. Maybe. It's like in terms of like, especially like drug use and stuff. Yeah. It's like how do you how True. do you expect people to believe that they weren't at least m- multiple ones with them doing it? It wasn't mm. just him, obviously. Yeah, yeah, True. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's kind of it's almost like people shouldn't be allowed to produce films about themselves for that reason just the bias of it it makes it less realistic well that is a big thing with biopics as well like i think i think i actually actually i did this for the last podcast i did when i watched it and i went through a big list of like the best biopics of all time Mm -hmm. and most of them were on people who were dead because they couldn't have any involvement with them or stuff like the um what's it ray the ray charles one which jamie fox that's really that was that one 
Was that nominated for Best Picture, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure it might have won Best Picture. He definitely got a lot of like awards at the Academy, and obviously that was because the, he ha- obviously could have no involvement with, with it. Whereas you have biopics of people who are still alive, and they just generally tend to not be very good. Mm. It's just it's a very difficult area, and I'd rather like... I think if you're going to go... And that's the thing, is if, you, if you're going to pick a person that everyone knows and make a biopic about them, you have to sort of you have to be as honest as possible and you want it to actually represent it. You can't like, sanitise it and make it seem kind of fictional because why not just make a fictional film? Yeah, so, so what you're saying is you, you want the... Um, yeah, almost critics and wide audience... Not wide audience, but, you know, re, you want a realistic view of it. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, the, well, if you get the mind of a producer or the mind of the estate of whoever, it, it's just... It comes down to providing something for fans, something mm-hmm. that tells the story, but in a you know they, they want to tell a, a, a film, they want to tell a story in a film that you can watch and go, yeah, that that was their life instead of going, oh, damn, that was their life. Yeah. Why don't go back to like the Wolf of Wall Street? It's like nothing in that film makes him look good. Like there's there's no part of that film. There's there's no that film is literally even the way the film ends. It ends with him getting away with it. Because yeah. he appears, and that's the, that's, and that's why they did it as well. Is because at the end of the film, it's the bit where at the end of the, it's literally him giving the speech. It's like a joke. Yeah. Because it just is it's that kind meta. of. Yeah, it is, and it, also, and it literally. I think it was presumably a device used by Martin Scorsese to show that he did get away with it. Mm-hmm. But he's obviously passing no comment on whether it's right or wrong. And if you look at it online, there are a lot of people that are very angry because obviously all the people got defrauded. He was supposed mm-hmm. to pay them millions. He's only ever paid like three hundred thousand. But I think the difference here is when it comes to artists, you're dealing with fans being aggressive um, because you know they they want the honest. They they, they want their they want their their not their fans, sorry, their idol. They want their idol to be idolized. praised and idolized. Yeah. yeah, they want the idol to remain an idol. Whereas, and, and in music, that's quite important. Whereas I feel that um, I can't remember the name of. Um, What's his face from Wolf of Wall Street? But, the main guy, yeah, Jordan main, Belfort. Jordan yeah. Belfort, yeah. I think I think Jordan Belfort. The whole point is that because he had so much money and influence, he he kind of got to the point where he was untouchable above mm-hmm. the law, yeah, and didn't matter whether pu- the public liked him or not because yeah. that's the power of Wall Street. Yeah, but it's almost having that power makes him likable to a lot of people. Probably shouldn't, but well, the, I mean, um, I see him in a good light, even though he was a very sort of. Yeah, I say good light. It's sort of wow. He actually got away with all of that. That's pretty impressive, even though it was quite immoral. Yeah. But it's still like it, it's really exciting to watch every time because it just is so far removed from everyday life. I think that's why because yeah. most people couldn't get to that high point just you know from nothing. Just like you said before, like people on uh, Instagram who have the ridiculous quotes. That's who it's for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the ones that who are going to be me. like, he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. no, the, one, the one that makes me laugh is that when they do it with him, obviously he's a fraudster, so that's bad enough. But it's the ones that absolutely kill me are the ones that use pictures of Patrick Bateman. It's like, he is the least aspirational businessman of all time. And I just, it doesn't register. I don't understand why people do it. It's, well, I think I think it comes down to, if we, if we want to get to kind of, this this would be almost like a feminist critique of, these films. I think it comes to a point where it's the depiction of uh, male ego. Mm-hmm. And the, these viewers are seeing these characters not as the whole, because again, American Psycho uh, is a critique of his character, and even more um, since I, I 
can't remember the name of the director right now, but um, it was directed by a woman. So mm-hmm. it's even more of a critique of this, uh, of the fragility of male ego. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, the people who kind of idolize Patrick Bateman characters like this just don't go beyond seeing Big Strong Man is Big Strong mm-hmm. Famous. Yeah. Another thing you have on the list here that is a su- subject that we seem to really enjoy touching on is uh, genre-wise, you put anything apart from horror, mm-hmm. and we've had literally the the majority of people, when we talk about genres, most people say they don't really like horror that much, yeah. and I really enjoy asking people why, so what's your... Why would you? Like, what? It's, it's a very sort of sick pleasure, do you not think? Well, what horror films have you seen? So, I've seen, like, the whole of Saw, um... What have I seen, Josh? <laughs> what have we watched? Well, I haven't watched anything because I refuse to watch them. Have we not watched any? I've never watched I've only seen about... And the, the most scariest one I've ever seen, like, in terms of actual horror films, probably the only one I watched, The Shining ones. Well, okay. The Shining okay. in, in October, that's literally it. I yeah. think... Have we not watched Insidious or one of the others? Oh, I thought no. we had. That must have been with everyone else. Um, yeah, I think Insidious. Um, some of the other more popular ones, like... Oh, um... See, I'm so bad with the names. The Visit... That was like really mm-hmm. sick. Emma Was that him? Is that Emma Shyamalan? Is that the? It's the one with the twist, sort of near the end. That, that was, probably that sounds like Emma yeah, yeah, Shyamalan. Yeah. To be fair. Yeah. Um. What else? Oh, the silent one. Sars the Lambs. No, 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 no. no, no. Quiet place. Wait, yeah, that's it. Quiet place. Um, I didn't really like that. Okay, so, you, so you seem to. So on the one hand, uh, you've seen Saw. Yeah. And issue with films like Saw and Hostel and. A couple others. Um, I think they, they are the continuation of the oversaturated genre of slashers, mm-hmm. where the original message, so the original message of Saw, so the first one, is kind of, you know, pretty um, clear, where, you know, the, the, it's, it's a guy, it's kind of like a vigilante justice mm-hmm. type film. But as it goes on, as happened with a lot of slashers, it just became about the body count and about mm-hmm. the blood and the gore, and it was yeah. like, how much can you fit on how, on screen? How much can you get away with? Yeah. So those type of films, which I mean, you'd probably call torture porn. Mm-hmm. I I don't enjoy mm-hmm. torture porn films. I think that they are excessive and yeah. a lot of the time just bad. Yeah. Oh, and Human Centipede. Have you seen the third one? I've not seen the third oh, Human Centipede, but I know that's the one in prison. It's so. the worst film I've ever seen. I, I couldn't watched get Human Centipede once. <laughs> there was. It's awful, honestly. I'd watch it just like literally first ten minutes just to see. It's the quality of it. I don't know what happened, but it's yeah, it... honestly the worst film I've ever watched. Well, it's sure great though. Uh, well, have you seen the other two? Uh, I've seen the first one. I think years ago. I think I tried. I don't think I. I think I was at a house party once, and someone put it on and sort of like a, it was kind of like an afters kind of thing, which wasn't really the vibe I was enjoying. So I think I went to bed, but it was very. Yeah, I got to. It, kind of, I remember like I remember very vividly when I was probably in about year nine, someone describing the plot to me, and I just couldn't get out of my mind for a solid week well, after. But you see, that's what these films do. Mm-hmm. People like like saw and all that. It's kind of it, it shocks teenagers. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like teenage. Uh, you know, I, I want to see the most messed up thing possible. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, no, that doesn't make a good film. Um, but as for the other films you mentioned, mm-hmm. I think the issue with stuff like um, Insidious and A Quiet Place and a couple other of these kind of blockbuster horror mm-hmm. films is that they're simply based around formulae, just jump scare. Yeah. Jump scare attention, jump scare attention, but no actual horror. Yeah. yeah. What I enjoy in horror personally is the kind of... Um, the more existential side of it. Okay. And there are a lot of horror films which the horror in it isn't, oh god, there's a ghost about to jump out. It's more the implication of, well, this is the story behind it. Mm-hmm. So, like Midsummer, 
<clears throat> Midsummer, a lot of people were like, this isn't a horror film. And I'm like, well, it is. Mm. Horror is such a wide genre. Because Midsummer is, I call it a, a breakup film. It's actually a breakup film mm -hmm. about, you know, picking yourself up and moving on. Whereas, um, it, it's also a horror film about cults and the implication of a cult in the middle of nowhere yeah. in uh, Sweden. It, is scary in a way. So that's the horror implication mm -hmm. in it, even though it's not viscerally jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Definitely better quality than, as you say, just like doing it for the jump scares and literally just loads of random stuff. Doesn't make any sense. Just yeah. For the sake of being scary. I mean, I'm not like, I'm not a fan of, like, I will casually admit that I'm, I hate jump scares. Like, I absolutely can't stand them. I don't understand why people can't derive any kind of enjoyment from I them. I don't get any enjoyment. If I see a jump scare, I'm like, well, you wasted my time. Yeah. I, th I did watch an interesting um, video essay on YouTube once about jump scares, and it made me kind of reconsider my thoughts about them in the sense that jump scares are only ever good if there's something leading up to them. Uh, like Alien. Alien, the jump scares in that are really good, because it's like the bit where, it's the one I remember, it's the one uh, where it's they have the cat, and the guy's like exploring in the um, room where it's uh, like uh, there's water dripping down, and there's all the chains around him, yes. and like that is like just utter like there's probably five minutes of just tension of him looking around corners yeah. and you know eventually the alien's going to appear like that is kind of a good jump scare whereas where you have random ones where something just pops up it's like you have to build the tension before you you have to build tension then release it you don't just go straight for the oh it's jump scare because that just leaves yeah. people feeling like pointless what a brilliant use of jump scare is in uh, the original Halloween by John Carpenter which right I mean you know it's not, not, not really sorry, but right at the end when Laurie Strode is actually facing um uh, uh, Michael Myers he's chasing her through the house so she hides in a closet and unfurls a coat hanger to stab him in the arm but it's just the shot of her sitting in this closet just you know tension and then out of nowhere this hand just busts through the, the closet door and she screams and that, that's but that's a brilliant jump scare because yeah that's if you're hiding in a closet just one about to bust through the mm. door that's how it feels so that's a good use of it. That, yeah. I, I do enjoy that type of jump scare where it's, it has a purpose. Are you a Harry Potter fan? Because the, the one jump scare I remember really vividly is when the snake comes up. I, I, do you... What oh. film was that on? Was that... <laughs> good question. It, uh, was that probably... Chamber of Secrets? <sighs> Honestly, I don't know. It was. I think they went back to... I want to say it was like Harry's old parents' house. That's, it, that, that's the second the to last one. one. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was quite far. In a Godric's Hollow, isn't it? So yeah, I think yeah, so. It was the woman, isn't it? It's the yes, woman who becomes the, yeah. it's become, it's the old woman yeah, yeah, yeah. who becomes um, little Bathilda Bagshot. And it goes up through and, the... Yes. Yeah, that's very scary. That, very that, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that was very yeah. spooky in the cinema. I, I remember it was interesting because that was, uh, was the last Harry Potter film. So was that 2011? So yeah, I, I didn't see it in the cinema. I would have been about... Would have been about 12. Yeah, so I imagine that probably did mess me up probably quite a lot. <laughs> so you... So you mentioned you like the Harry Potter films. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan. But you but, really enjoy them. Yeah. So what will your ranking be? Because oh, everyone can rank those. Gosh. Um, I don't even know if I've seen the last one, to be honest. But I like a Goblet of Fire classic, obviously. That's your favourite one as yes, well, Yes, that's my favourite one. Um, the... Oh, what was it called? Order of the Phoenix. That's probably the one I've seen the most. Um, and then, obviously, Chamber of Secrets. But, yeah, I can't... I can't... What are the other ones? The Prison of Azkaban. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, yeah. yeah. I don't know what I'd rate. And the original one. Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's pretty solid. Mm. See, what's your favourite one? So I, I, I like Goblet of Fire the most as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Weird. Um, 
but what I find interesting about uh, Order of the Phoenix is that it was the book that I disliked the most. Mm. I struggled to get through it. I remember I, I put it down halfway through and then picked it up a couple months later and then finished it. But yeah, it was the book was just, just boring. It was just it was as the books got thicker. Um, the biggest jump in thickness was um, Prisoner of Azkaban to Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. But that makes sense. Goblet of Fire was packed with that whole, you know, Wizard Olympic Games in the middle, and that was brilliant. Whereas Order of the Phoenix then just kind of went a little bit thicker, mm. and it was just, just yeah, them. They weren't at Hogwarts. It was some threat that they had, but it wasn't mm. even them. You know, like Fantastic Beasts, where they're exploring the Wizarding World. It was just nothingness. Mm. I just didn't think it was that. Fun. I've only ever read the last one, and it was I think it was after I'd seen the film as well, mm-hmm. and I just didn't go much on reading it. I thought it was... I mean, to be fair, not having read the other ones, go assuming that you can read the last one from just watching the films doesn't really work, because there was a lot... Obviously, there's a lot more to the book. Oh, so I spent a lot of my time when I was reading it, like, on... Um, the, the Harry Potter Wikipedia, just like typing in random characters to try and work out who they actually were, because obviously they don't actually appear in the films, so yeah. you have to have to sort of uh... track back and, and make more sense. One thing I do, one thing I do find weird is how everyone like the the the, the, the appreciation people have for Prisoner of Azkaban, because I actually don't like it very much. Forget it all for me. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people say they really enjoy it. I mean, you forgot it in your rankings yeah, straight away. Yeah, it's. I've... They all kind of merge into one film for me, not going to lie, though, yeah. Because I've not read the books as well, which I guess makes it harder. But it's just all Harry Potter world. Like, I couldn't say, oh, that happens in that one. But we went on that tour in Edinburgh, didn't we? Yes. Oh, do you remember how much she spent on the hotel when she was writing the last ones? It was, like, an insane amount of money because she basically lived there. Yeah, basically. So when J.K. Rowling was writing the last Harry Potter book, it was just after... It was when she had, like, little children. Okay. And she uh, couldn't do any work at home. So she basically booked out the best suite in uh, like the, one of the most expensive hotels in Edinburgh just every night for like months and just sat and she would like wake up in the morning send the kids to school and then just go to the hotel I think right. it was millions though wasn't it that she spent it, I think it, it was, was insane it, it was in the like at least tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands just in writing it and she finished it in there and wrote something about it on the back of the um, wardrobe or something and all the stuff really? as well from the names from the graveyard yes that was really cool do you know about this I don't know about so, this so like so she was wandering around Edinburgh and there's a graveyard and it's like probably the most famous one there and you can go and see all the head type what are they called head, gravestones that's it uh, and they've got like names from characters and she they say she got inspiration like they've got Snape oh. and oh, I can't remember the other ones but loads of them Cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. See, my my mum and my brother, they're um, they live in Oxford and they they they're tour guides, and they one of the tours they do is the Harry Potter tour, where you visit a ton of the colleges in Oxford. Were uh, one of them was a dining room, which that one you actually have to pay to get into, um, but then a lot of, a lot of others. So the one I went to, my mum took me um, on Christmas Eve. We were just walking around. It's in the Rad. It's by the Radcliffe camera. Nothing to do with Daniel Radcliffe. Um, <laughs> and within the college, there is a room which was one of the old um, lecture rooms, which was, I, if you didn't know any better, you'd go, oh, that, this, this is almost like a church, the way it's all set up. Well, that room um, was the infirmary in the first, uh, first um. I don't know, two Harry Potter films. Mm. Um, and they have... a on the wall a photo of the infirmary and you, you look at it and you're like oh yeah, yeah this is the same place that's so cool so uh, yeah it's interesting yeah. to see where all these little yeah, bits are yeah, yeah. picked up or pictured I went to the studio tour over Christmas actually and that was really cool I, I would recommend I that I want to do that yeah 
I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan. Um, um, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm not I either, but yeah, it was still really cool just to see like all the sets and how they did everything. Yeah, oh, that's brilliant. Like. So I know we're talking about stuff we like, but now we need to go <laughs> to stuff uh, you you don't like. Mm-hmm. And you say you don't like horror. Yeah. And we'll give you a break on that. Mm-hmm. But what about fantasy and sci-fi? You say you don't like. Yeah. So like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. Sort of. I've watched a couple of the more recent Star Wars films they're okay but like i don't get the hype sort of it's this it's a similar thing with like video games like if it's not sort of entertaining in the comedy sense or the sort of i don't know i just struggle to follow, follow stories of things that are just completely sort of out of this reality i find them sort of pointless in a sense interesting so it, it, is it the the lack of grounding in reality i think that so. you find hard? yeah i think it's yeah Fair. So, see, Lord of the Rings, I think, is is brilliant um, on a technical standpoint, mm-hmm. on a storytelling standpoint. I think it's just brilliant in every single way. But Star Wars, I agree with you. I don't get the hype yeah. at all. It's really not that good. It's really long and... It's not. I like the original trilogy, mm-hmm. so 4, 5, and 6. I think they're, they, they're, they're charming. Those films are charming. That's what they have going for them. But then the prequels, I thought, were atrocious. And then the new ones, I watched one of them and thought it was fine. Mm. But I think people need to realise, and this is the take that a lot of people don't want to admit, but it's a reality. From, so after the original trilogy, once it became a sensation, Star Wars just exists to sell toys. Mm-hmm. And I'm the brand. It yeah. isn't really meant to do anything else. It's like a lot of children's films, isn't it? Sort of, they are literally just producing them just to make money because people will go see them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of how I think it's going down with Avatar 2. Mm-hmm. So nothing to do with the brilliant Last Airbender. We're talking about them blue people. <laughs> are, are you excited for Avatar 2? I didn't know there was going to be one. Uh, yeah, so. no, Avatar and, 2, and 3 and 4. Oh, so yeah, it's a, it's a saga or whatever. Avatar two was supposed to come out. Was it this year? or Was it twenty nineteen? God, it was meant to. At one point, it was going to come out in like twenty sixteen. But they really? keep they push it. It's been they pushing it back. Pushed it back. Wow. But I think it's kind of confirmed that it's probably having next year. Which I say a safe bet, almost guarantee, would be by twenty twenty two. It's going to mm-hmm. be in cinemas. Is that just the first one, or are they releasing all of them at the same time? I think they're doing um, one every two years from then on, apparently. That's insane. Yeah. How, how can they plan that far ahead? Because what if the second one like bombs? They are literally... Then it's not going to bomb. There's no way it could bomb. This, mm. this, it was this, uh, the original See. Avatar was the, fir- was the, what was it? It was the highest grossing film of all time for yeah. ten years. Like There's no, ch- there's absolutely no chance that people... I, I'm, I don't even like the first one that much, but I'll probably go and see it, just I, because I just say I've seen it. was so big, though. How was Avatar so big? Because it was the first ever, like, wasn't it one of the first ever, like, kind of really good CGI films? But you go back, and a lot of the CG isn't very good. It doesn't hold up. Also, it was coming on the cusp of, literally the cusp of when 3D was, like, yes. going to be the next big thing. That's I saw fair. that in the IMAX, actually, in mm. London. Yeah. I, 3D in yeah. 3D IMAX? I think so. Oh, yeah. fair. Yeah, that's good. I can't remember what happened. Just remember lots of blue people. Yeah, I don't remember the plot of that yeah. film. I realised the other day. I was thinking about it, and I just don't remember. I know, yeah, I, I remember Sigourney Weaver's in it, and then the geezers in a wheelchair, but he's a blue man that can walk now. Oh yeah, no, the story as I remember it, if I'm not saying, is, li- is literally just kind of a tale of um, white man taking the indigenous land, mm. but applied to humans taking the alien land. Mm. So they're just farming the resources. These people are losing. Um, you know, the aliens are losing their planet, um, 
and the humans see them as a threat. They've, you know, constructed them as an objective threat that needs mm. to be eliminated. And then turns out that um, they're doing experiments on them, mm -hmm. and it turns out you can actually be transferred into the body of one of them. So, um, what's his face in the wheelchair goes into the, he's, he's transferred into a body and he can walk in that body um, because he, you know, it's just his mind in a, in a new body. So he realizes, oh, these are actually, you know, a, a whole other civilization. They're not too different to us humans. So let's stop the evil corporation. Um, and that's about the long and the short of it, to be fair. That, mm. That's it, right? That's it. <laughs> I think, the, especially though, the second one is going to be interesting because of the way it is going to display a world underwater. Because, to, to his credit, James Cameron has gone, I mean, this be, pun intended here, then go on, uh, he's gone off the deep end on. <laughs> do you know anything about that? What? That it's underwater? So it's going to be underwater, yeah. but James Cameron has become obsessed with a deep sea, deep sea he, diving he, now. He dives, yeah. No, because you know. of this film. Oh, right. And he went to the, he's one of the only... Like, furthest, yeah, yeah, he's one of the only civilians to ever go to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, which yeah, is the lowest yeah. place you can go, what? just to see what it was like down there as a part of the research for this film. Insane. Mm. Wow. How yeah. deep is that? It is, was the deepest place you can go, I'm so like pretty, very, very deep. See, here's the take I have on James Cameron. I don't think he makes good films. What about Titanic? I don't think it's a good film. <gasps> I don't like Titanic I should have put either. that in one of my favourites. That's like a childhood classic of mine. So For sure. But it's, again, isn't that film three hours it long? It is three hours. It's extraordinarily yeah. long. It's so good though. So what, what is it that you like about it? It's probably, it's like the nostalgia of it because it was probably one of the first films I watched and remember watching. Um... And Leonardo DiCaprio, obviously can't beat him. Um, I don't know, I think it was three hours, but obviously, like, it was it was a good build-up, and it had, like, plots within plots, which obviously all films do, but, like, I just, yeah, it's enjoyable. It's It's got different elements, like, you've got the romantic bit and sort of the, oh no, ice cap, all that. Yeah, I, what didn't you like about it? See, uh, I think it's just, um... So I think the acting is so-so. Okay. Um, some of the performances are, are good, mm -hmm. but I mean, it's not really a crazy performance you need to do to be, you know, you're someone working on a ship or someone on holiday on the ship. Um, but the writing, I think, is where it falls really short. The way I describe it, I think, is kind of, it is kind of like soap opera. Like, yes. it is it's such a, it is pretty much just a melodrama, and then it's kind of, at that point, it becomes, you could have probably done, I think there were more interesting things you could do with the story of Titanic. And I think there are some very good bits, and I think I would have, if I was, if I'd made the film, I would have focused less on the love story and looked at it on a more sort of global level. And there's some really, like, the, the, the themes to do with, like, the fact that it is, like, the lower classes of people who are stowaways and the people who aren't the rich people are dying here because rich people who shouldn't be getting on the lifeboats are getting on the lifeboats. It's like that is a vein to which you could explore really nicely. There could be a whole horror film about being trapped inside the Titanic and knowing you're going to die. Well, I mean, ultimately, like, you would probably... It would probably be very similar to Snowpiercer, wouldn't it? But Snowpiercer... Snowpiercer is effectively Titanic without the... Sort of without the romance. If you I think, mean, there's a lot more to it, though. Well, in some ways. In but, some ways. But, yeah, if we're being very, very reductive of plot. Yeah, well, yeah, but, I mean, in, in terms of... But the way that handles class, I thought, like, that kind of... The, the way that... The way that um, Bong Joon-ho handles class and Snowpiercer is so far removed from what James Cameron could have done with Titanic which would I think elevate the film to feeling less melodramatic and soap opery and actually kind of make more of a sort of statement mm. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that, that does make sense, yeah. So, yeah, that's what does it for me. It's the mm-hmm. writing. I think the writing's really bad. And vi- I mean, visually, it's your standard yeah. 90s, amazing. 2000s. Yeah. There's nothing objectively wrong mm-hmm. with the camera work and editing. It's just... it. It's just boring. It doesn't stand out. Mm. Oh. Yeah, I think it's, really it's quite flat, I think, is the film. I think I don't really understand why it got as much love as it did, apart from other than the fact it was, like, at one point the highest grossing film of all time. Mm. There, there we go, yeah. It's just the James Cameron magic touch. <laughs> so to sort of take it back to um, what you're saying about Lord of the Rings, what is it about Lord of the Rings you don't really kind of get into? Because I I'm know. sort of agreeing with you a bit here. I think I have this theory. Um, it's sort of... I think if you've grown up and your parents or sort of people around you have watched films like that and you've got into them at a young age, you're probably more likely to enjoy them. Um, so I, I don't even know how much of Lord of the Rings I've watched. I don't think I've ever sat down and watched it. It's just if it's been on in the background, I've seen bits of it. But yeah, it's the same. It's sort of or any sort of TV shows that are similar like Star Trek or it's just too sci-fi for me. Yeah. Okay, so what I'm thinking, one of the films that, Josh mentioned earlier, and I think would actually be a good introduction for both sci-fi and horror mm-hmm. is Alien. Yeah, did we watch it? Yeah, we saw it, we saw the 40th anniversary yeah, screening. Yeah. So you saw it? Yeah. And did you enjoy Alien? I don't think so. I think it was okay. I think you you, you spent a lot of time saying how you thought it looked a bit dated. Yeah. Which is ironic, because it was a 40th anniversary <laughs> screening. <laughs> I don't really know what you were really expecting from that. <laughs> I but. don't remember that, but Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think I do struggle to watch older films. Like we saw Die Hard as well, and I don't know if you know this, the like sound effects for the, the guns and everything. It's like it's it's so hilarious because they yeah. sound so like like lasers and fake and yeah. I don't know. I really struggle with watching older films. Yeah. Okay. Especially now, there's so much sort of high quality, high definition, which is yeah. Bad see, that's of the me. issue with high yeah. definition films, though. That's the thing with. We've we've grown to expect the clearest, mm. crisp, and I'm guilty of this. I I like, despite as a hobby shooting film and liking the graininess and the softness of the look of analog film. When I'm watching a, a film, I like to watch it on the highest mm-hmm. resolution I can possibly find on the highest resolution screen with the colours calibrated. Like I want to see it mm-hmm. looking good. And the issue with this is that we we now. Like, the new Star Wars films, what they do have going for them is that they look great. Mm. These look brilliant. The costumes have been really well done. The sets have been really well done. The CG is just... There is no line between CG and reality in that. Mm. But yeah, the issue with this clarity is you watch Avatar, and it falls apart. You watch Die Hard, and mm-hmm. it's just cheesy. But yeah. even worse, I think the worst... One of the, wor- the worst films that ever... Not ever, but one of the worst films that shows the, its age... Um, is uh, Rambo. Because he'll just stand there with his machine gun and it's just like the the gunshots don't even line up half the time. <laughs> yeah. There's just straight up errors where there's just mm. no sound and it's very lo-fi but not in a good way yeah I noticed that I saw, uh, the, uh, the, towards the end of Christmas and when I came back to uni I started watching quite a lot of um, 70s science fiction films and I watched the Mad Max films and they uh, I mean the second one is I love the second one the second one's a fantastic film and the ending of that that it does hold up quite nicely because it's mostly practical effects but the first the Mad Max the first one it doesn't hold up at all it looks genuinely awful it looks like someone's like knocked it up with, with like a Nokia or something like oh. it is I mean it's, the film is still enjoyable and I did enjoy it and it, I think you do have to sort of like 
I think that's one of the things you maybe have to do when you watch a film like that, is you do have to, before when you go into it, you really have to look past that. And if you sat there for the entire thing, you know, oh, that looks bad, that looks bad, you, would, you wouldn't bother watching it. Mm. And I think you do have to sort of, there are certain things, and you, you do have to, you have to be willing to overlook them, because it's impossible to imagine that everything will look crystal clear when it was filmed on a shoestring budget in yeah. 1978 or something. See, that happens with, um, uh, in a way, with The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. I think visually looks brilliant because it's um, well, it was one of the towards the end of um, westerns, so they'd already got down the aesthetic down to a T, and the shots are brilliant and all that. But um, so what Sergio Leone did when he made the film is that he told actors to act in their mother tongue. So half of the film was in Italian, half of it was in English. But again, a lot of the scenes have no audio. So all of it was done in post. So sure, the wind, like, that's believable. But the gunshots are a bit, you know, a bit cheesy. Mm. But it's the, the, the lines, they don't line up with the mouth half the time because one person's speaking Italian, the other one, sure, it's Clint Eastwood doing his own voice, but it's, like, it's off. And, yeah, it, the, it's something you kind of have to look past. Mm. I find that really bothersome. It's the thing I hate really? the most about watching anything is if the lips don't line up what they're saying. And I remember it, like, like back at home, like, sometimes... But back at this, like, properly in the, in the early days, you know, the digital switchover, when you had to get... This might be, yeah. Basically, you used to, obviously, on telly, you used to have, like, four channels, like BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, Channel Four, and then they turned all those off, and you had to, like, like a free view box, basically. Yes. And... So when we first got Freeview, like we got like a the cheapest box you can get for like a tenner from somewhere, and it meant there was a really bad delay between the basically. So whenever I watched anything on the telly, it meant that the lips never synced up with the thing, and it used to absolutely drive me round the bend. And even now, like any kind of time I see it, like if I'm watching something online, it happens. I just have to turn it off because it just absolutely does my nut. There's there's still a huge amount of adverts on TV that they don't sync up, and it's think if the budget they must have to pay to get an ad on TV, you think they would do that right? It's insane. Well, there's an explanation behind that. Oh, go on. Um, With a lot of adverts, and this is a European advertising standard law, where essentially the voice that you are hearing has to be clear. Mm -hmm. Whereas, some people will praise films or TV Mm -hmm. shows for using authentic actions and people, you know, some either murdering because they're in the middle of, like, whatever. That's fine, but in an advert, you cannot get away with that. It has to be crystal clear voice. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time, um, the people you're seeing are uh, advert actors or you know uh, models, um, and the person talking is a voice actor or actress that does the voice. Mm. But are there not enough people out there that can do both? Like, would you not? Well, for some reason, um, the funny story I have is a mate of mine from back home his mum is voice actress and she is the voice in Spanish for Sandra Bullock and wow. a couple other actors and act- uh, sorry actresses so um or actors sorry um so in um The Impossible the film of the oh, the, yeah. the, the um Tsunami yeah. she's the mother's voice in that wow. Gravity is basically just her and Spanish George Clooney <laughs> and she was also the voice of Colgate Toothpaste wow okay so that was a Weird fact. That's so cool. So yeah, it comes down to ad standards, and that's just yeah. inevitable. Mm, interesting. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. So the last thing we sort of like to ask people, and we sort of touched on a bit earlier in terms of things we sort of enjoy doing, sort of probably my definitely my favourite part of the show is when we ask people what films um, were meaningful to them when they were a child. Mm-hmm. 
I can't remember why I put it down. I think Greece. Um, oh, Stardust. That's another one I've watched sort of ten times and can recite. Um, and Bugsy Malone's on there. Yeah, Bugsy Malone sort of did the production of that, so I had to watch the film a lot. Is it um, just coincidence they're both musicals, or is that something you just used to enjoy I don't a lot? Know. Yeah, I do like a good musical. Yeah. What's um, your favourite musical of all time? Like film musical or musical musical? Why not both? Oh, um, Wicked. I've seen a few times. That's really good. Um, film wise, might might be Rocket Man actually. Really? Yeah. Or Grease, because it's just a classic, isn't it? See, I don't think Grease holds up. Do you not? Why? I've seen it, and it, I just think it's it's just atrociously cheesy, it but is. not in like a charming way. But you watch it, you're like, this is just a bunch of people dancing for no reason, yeah. which I know is the musicals as how musicals go, but. But in Greece, it's kind of very apparent mm. that it's just... It doesn't really fit together. I think it's all just kind of loose ends that kind of made it onto the screen. Yeah, fair enough. And again, I can't remember the story. I mean, yeah, boy and girl fall in love. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> but there's a street race at some point. Yeah, yeah, um, true. Do they fight or does someone get stabbed at one point? No, no I don't that's, think so. Maybe I'm thinking of West Side Story. But yeah, I, I just don't remember... I don't remember the whole, like, Grease lightning... How that fits into the love story. I think that's to do with the car chase thing. I think it's just because it's the guys and the girls and the guys are into the cars and all that. I don't know. I haven't watched it in years, actually. But See, I, th- I think you watch it again and go, you know what, I like the great. songs, but it doesn't hold up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're it's probably It's very right. strange. I think I've only ever seen jukebox musicals. I think I've ever seen a proper, proper film musical. I cannot stand jukebox musicals. What is that? It's you, it's when you take a basically you take the songs of a recording artist yeah. to about ABBA and uh-huh. you make a film out of the songs so it's a load of films that aren't designed to be in a musical you just okay. string together with a plot so it's like Rocket Man's one Bohemian Rhapsody's one okay um, yeah the, oh so like musical ABBA. musical would be like West Side Story yes, like yes. yeah, with original, yeah, yeah, original yeah. music okay, yeah cool Hmm, interesting. My uh, underrated one that I always go on about because it's really good is the uh, Beatles one it's called Across the Universe came out in 2008 and it has you know um, Westworld Mm-hmm. You know the main woman, the blonde one. Uh, yes, yeah. Evan Rachel Wood. Evan it's, Rachel Wood. Yes, her. Really is, um, yes, she. Yes, she's from Westworld. Yeah, Westworld. <laughs> and nothing else. And nothing else. <laughs> no controversy. No, no controversy surrounding her whatsoever. <laughs> so across the universe. <laughs> across the, yeah, it's fantastic. It's. Um, I didn't think I'd like it that much because I thought it would come across really cheesy, and it is quite cheesy, but it does work. Like it, it sort of it really plays into that. And it's just such a... It, is, it tries to, like... Basically, the way I sort of describe it is it basically is a film that attempted to take... Because obviously it's all based in the 60s. So it's basically a film that where they attempted to take the best songs from arguably the biggest band in history of ever and then tried to sort of make it... Put it to what was a decade when literally the most things happened of any decade that has ever happened. And it's just such a kind of collision of... Just is so much stuff crammed into it that you just can't help admire how on earth they pulled it off. And I think that's something that I sort of admire. As much as I like the film, I also admire it for the sort of scope. The fact someone thought they could pull that off is very impressive. And they pretty much do. And it's all sort of good on them for doing it. And it is also just a pretty class film. Mm. So um, I'm trying to think what other musicals I've I've seen Lane Miz actually. Oh, yeah. I wasn't really a big fan of Lane Miz though. It sort of went on a bit. Um, I'm not either, really. I think it's all right, but mm. it's not brilliant. Mm. Um, brilliant uh, production, which is my favourite, is The Producers. Oh, Have okay. you seen The Producers? No, I haven't. So, The Producers originally was a film with Gene Wilder, um, and it, it, was, it wasn't a musical, it was just kind of like a 
drama with a little bit of comedy. Mm-hmm. But then they redid it in 2006, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, Nathan Lane and um, uh, what's his face? Ferris Bueller. Oh, Matthew Broderick. And Matthew Broderick, yes. And they made it a musical with mm-hmm. original songs and everything. And it's hilarious. Basically, <laughs> the, I, I know this because um, my girlfriend Becca is super into it and she uh, made me watch the film and said, oh, you have to watch it. And I loved it. And then we went to see it at um, the Royal Exchange Theatre oh, cool. when it was on and it was brilliant. And basically the producers is, uh, producer Max Bialystok, he makes terrible musicals. Terrible musicals and they're all flops. So he... He's desperate. He realizes he, he can't he can't do this anymore. He's, he's going to go out of business. So Leo Bloom, played by Matthew Broderick, is like this anxious guy, and he, he brings him in. He's like, I've got an idea. How about we make the worst possible musical on purpose and just pocket all the cash? So he goes around and um, gets his investors, which are just old ladies that love musicals, and he gets them. He scams them, gets their money, and you know the the bad musical is going to be terrible. So what's the worst musical they can find? They go on and they find um, Will Ferrell, who is an escaped Nazi, who has written a musical called Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> so they get Springtime for Hitler as the script, and they go, who, who, who's going to direct this play? Because they're just producing, they're just throwing money at it. Who's going to be the director? And he goes, ah, yes, and I can't remember the name the, of the, the director, but the director is the gayest, campest, over-the-top uh, um, gay director they can find. So it becomes a gay musical about Hitler. And the songs are brilliant, and the jokes are brilliant, the acting is phenomenal. It's oh, well. such a brilliant musical, you have to watch yeah, it. Well. You just have to. I've heard, I didn't realise they'd remade it. I, I know the classic one is it the Mel Brooks in, isn't it? Um, so the Mel Brooks one is, is this one, the 2006 one. That's the Mel Brooks one. Oh, right, okay. If I'm not mistaken. Whereas the original, original, which is Gene Wilder, that's the, the one that I, I haven't seen, because it's just... It's not really a musical on it. There's not okay. much to it. But yeah, the Mel Brooks musical is phenomenal. Cool. We'll put that on the list. Yes, we'll yeah. definitely put that on. We'll get round to that. I think that pretty much um, on that sort of yeah. relatively sort of funny note, we'll finish finish podcast there. So Fantastic. do you have anything you want to promote? Promote? Gosh. We use like Instagrams and stuff if you want to do um, that. No, I'm good. I'm not, I'm not a social media... Uh, that's a bad word there. No, I don't crave the, the likes and follows. <laughs> so, <laughs> so good. So not that so then how about is there any I don't know, charitable cause or anything happening in Manchester that you want people to be aware of? Oh god. I should have prepared for this. Um That's gonna make me look really bad, isn't it? Um Forever Manchester, they're quite a good charity. I don't know if you've heard of them. No. No. So they sort of put money into community projects um, I don't know what they've got going on right now but I would suggest them out uh, if you want to sort of give back to Manchester Fair enough, and I will now, um, since you've called me out I will um, promote my own things I'll do a, a Instagram at Josh W Sandy Twitter at Josh Sandy and on Letterboxd I think is also Josh W Sandy Yeah, and I am to buy store everywhere my website, which is under construction my social <laughs> media my letterbox if you want to see what I've been watching yeah that's and um, you've got great Instagram posts very good photographer thank you we'll check that out I am working I can say this and this is I can't say more than this I'm working on an exhibition with a friend and um I that's all I can say actually but it's happening this (laughs) summer I'm already taking photos for it so there we go that's happening excellent I'm sure we'll get an update on that in the future so thank you very much for listening and we will be back next week goodbye goodbye